And I think the more we know about what we're feeling day to day, then the more we can create, like if we're really stuck in negative emotions, which I think many of us are, right? To be able to know what they are, process them, figure out what what are the thoughts and beliefs, you know, that are behind them and then start to create something new and something brighter for ourselves. As a vegan, do you ever feel like you're living in a parallel universe, aware of things that many others don't even seem to notice, let alone acknowledge? I'm Chrissy Benson, host of the Vegan Posse podcast. We talk with vegans from around the globe who, like you, are living lives of integrity and compassion with an eye toward justice through their personal stories. You'll come to see that you're not an outlier. In fact, you're part of an entire posse of individuals who aren't just keeping the peace, they're creating it through their food choices, and beyond. You won't be saddling up, but you're in for the ride of your life. Welcome to the Vegan Posse. Hey, Posse. Just a few words from your host, Chrissy Benson. Looking for the perfect holiday gift for your book-loving friends? Pick up a copy of my novel, Marrying Myself, by me, Christine Melanie Benson. It's not your regular meathead romance novel. Among other things, it's got a vegan protagonist, a surprise ending, and it'll get you thinking about life, love, and the most important relationship of all, the one you have with yourself. You can find it on Amazon and everywhere else. And while you're at it, please leave a nice review. It really helps. On a different note, many of you have asked if I offer coaching. I do. Visit my website, christinemelaniebenson.com to find out more. Finally, if you love being part of the vegan posse, like this podcast, subscribe, and share it with your friends. Together, we can build our posse of folks who aren't just keeping the peace, but creating it through our food choices and beyond. And most of all, remember that during this holiday season, you are not alone. You've got a posse. Thanks, guys. Now, on to our episode. Today, the Vegan Posse welcomes Alyssa Amond. Alyssa began her career with Teach for America as a third grade bilingual teacher in Washington Heights, New York City. Her fascination with languages and language learning called her to specialize in teaching English to speakers of other languages. She helped immigrants acquire the language skills necessary for them to succeed in the U.S. Alyssa worked both as a middle school ESOL teacher and as a program administrator in adult basic education. But her veganism wouldn't let her forget that she's not just about helping humans. So in 2017, after some intensive coaching, she gathered her courage and left her full-time job in education. This leap landed her at a farmed animal sanctuary, and she went on to become a writer and curriculum designer with the acclaimed documentary film, The Last Pig. In 2019, Alyssa stepped into her natural role in animal advocacy as a profession. Now, as a certified professional coactive coach, Alyssa gets to help animals by supporting the humans who serve them. Alyssa, welcome to the Vegan Posse. Are you ready for the ride of your life? I sure am. So you live in New York City, where I lived until 2017. No, I live in Delaware. Oh, you live in Delaware. I was way off. Why did I think New York City? You spent time in New York City. That's right. right. Okay. That's why. 
Yeah, but I'm essentially from Delaware and have moved back. Nice, nice. Okay. So where that's where you grew up? Since I was eight. Yeah. You okay. know, left for school, left after school, left for grad school. <laughs> and I'm back and I've been here for a while. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> So how did your family eat when you were growing up? Did you, you know, did you ever think about the animals in our food system? Um, I didn't until uh, 13 is when I became vegetarian. Really? So I think we had pretty much standard American diet. Um, although neither one of my parents was big into cooking. Like food is not a big part of my family culture. So when I announced that at first I was that I was not going to eat cows. Um, and, and then it became, you know, anybody with a face, um, pretty, pretty soon after that. And, and they're animal lovers, my parents. So they were willing, even though they hated cooking, they were willing to, um, either prepare just one thing that we could all eat that's vegetarian or, you know, add something else for me. Although my mother was worried, right, about protein and iron. So, you know, she sought uh, assistance from a nutritionist and <laughs> casseroles became a thing with, you know, different rice and beans. And uh, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. So, so many questions I have that I'd love to unpack. First of all, it's rare that I hear from somebody that food was not a big part of their family culture mm -hmm. that's yeah. that's very interesting so are your parents just kind of picky eaters and they just you know just don't care that much about food um no it's my mother grew up uh poor and she uh was a successful business owner and so worked a lot so she, and so she was not going to be doing anything in the kitchen there was not time for that so actually my father did a little bit more of that and his father cooked some but it's just um you know waspy people growing up in the middle of the country um it just wasn't a big it wasn't a big thing and you know there wasn't a lot of time so it just didn't seem important so I think that was one of the reasons why it was so easy for me to uh, change. I'm laughing because there's a, a, I can hear an altercation between two of my cats uh, in the other room. Uh-oh. <laughs> so are you an only child? No, I have an older sister. And how did she respond when you made the shift? I think she was fine. I think it was, you know, whatever. Although she would have been getting ready to go off to college. Um, but I, I think, you know, it, it might've been a little, Alyssa's a little bit particular. And so this is maybe par for the course. <laughs> You're kind of a high maintenance kid. Well, I'm a highly sensitive. So mm. as a highly sensitive, right. Uh, I get overstimulated easily. And so, um, she can remember stories of <laughs> me not wanting like peas to touch carrots things like that. I have no memory of this, but as my big sister, 
um she 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 remembered it <laughs> fascinating and what was it that prompted your announcement about no longer eating cows yeah well uh i i figured they obviously had to die and so that didn't make sense to me um you know i was still uh wearing leather um, and actually I, I had a horse and so there was lots, there were a lot of leather products there. So that didn't change. Um, but you know, we had cats and I, I always felt connected to non-human species, um, you know, especially in the animal form. Yeah. That's so interesting because most kids, even kids who love animals, who that's a lot of kids. But most kids don't make that connection about cows or other animals. Do you have any recollection of kind of what was going on in the background? I, you know, I did have a a friend and she and I were kind of on this same journey um, at the time. So I'm not sure if it was that she and I were talking about it, but I also think you know, as a, a highly sensitive, um, you know, being around cats a lot and horses a lot, right? Um, you know, it it came to me, it came to me that way. It's that funny how you don't remember some of these things. Right. Were kind of pivotal moments yeah. in your life journey. Yeah. Yep. That's very true, at least for myself as well. You so were vegetarian for a while, right? I was vegetarian for a while, but not as a kid. I don't recall doing it as a kid. And then I had a couple of stints of vegetarianism, maybe during college or after college. But um, yeah, I was vegetarian vegetarian for about 10 years before going vegan. But that was as an adult. So I, I can't claim credit for the level of consciousness that you had at 13. That. Well, it's just not, it's just not part of what we were doing, right? Yeah. yeah. It's not what we were taught. It's not what we were seeing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. We're, su we're subjected to a very sophisticated form of conditioning that teaches us not yeah. to it. Yes. So deep. So, so deep. So it sounds like your parents were very amenable to this. That's, that's interesting how they... You know, I should, I should ask my mom, <laughs> there's deceased, but I should ask her, um, you know, she will tell stories about when she was, I don't think in kindergarten and they went to go see a Lassie movie in the theater and Lassie got separated from her pups and she had to leave the theater. Right. So she, um, even though she does come from people, not her parents, but people who were um, cattle ranchers um, in West Texas, uh, you know, she never wanted to think about um, any animal being hurt, you know, whether it's in a movie or a story or anything. So I think I came by that very naturally on both sides um, of, of my family. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I took it to the next, you know, as the next generation, I took it to the next place. Yes. 
Yes, yes. So when did you make the leap into vegan? Yeah, very late. Oh my gosh. Uh, 2011. Um, that so, was the same year as me. Oh, yay. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, like it took way too long, you know, as I as I think about it now and certainly when I became vegan, it's like, what the hell was I doing? But I was, you know, I was, it was already, I was married to an omnivore um, and not at all in animal rights, you know, at all. I had only done that a little bit when I was a teenager. So, you know, being vegetarian was still kind of unusual. Yeah. Um, and I remember I had a friend who was very much into social justice. And at one point she was vegan and I thought, I wonder, you know, I wonder what that is, but maybe, maybe it's a little bit out there. It's like anti everything. So I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be vegan. Um, And how I did not think about the exploitation. I mean, of course, I didn't know about the, the brutality of the egg and dairy industries at that time. But why I was not thinking about just the fact that we're using these folks uh, and and their products that you know that didn't plus I was eating cheese and um, addicted of course right since the casein is addictive um, and uh, Ben and Jerry's right I loved I loved me some not some dairy Ben and Jerry's um, and uh, I was already drinking um, like soy and almond milk for cereal. Um, well, you know what? I had eczema. And of course, when I went vegan, it disappeared. Huh. But my eczema started flaring up in 1999. Um, God, it obviously took me, <laughs> it took me a while. It takes a while. Yeah, I, I relate. I mean, not for everybody, but it took me a long time too. And same as you, I remember the thoughts that used to run through my head. Like, I remember thinking, oh, I'm fine with using animals. I just don't think it's justified to kill them if we don't have to. And now I'm, now I'm, think about that thought, but I remember having that thought. I mean, it is helpful, I think, as vegans to, to be able to connect back to where, where we were, you know, okay, it wasn't really that long ago, you know, that I was in, that I was in this boat or had this mindset. Um, right, because it's you know so easy, uh, you know, for ethical vegans to to jump into judgment, right? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've heard that about vegans. I mean, of course, it's never <laughs> happened to me. Yeah, you've heard that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, did it bother you that your husband was an omnivore? That he ate, you know, meat and animals? Yeah. Yes, yeah. and 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 it was part of at least a little bit part of why we separated um, because I, I became vegan like, you know, six months or so before we separated. And so there was a time when I would, I would cook um, chicken flesh for him again. I mean, I wasn't cooking very much. Um, I, I would not buy raw pig flesh for him. But I, I would buy, like, it would take out. I would buy, like, uh, carnitas that was pigs, um, you know. 
Um, and then I got, I saw, um, again, I was already vegetarian, but I remember seeing meet your meat and at least the section I saw, I don't know, was pigs. Um, so the fact that we weren't aligned on something that was, had become very important to me was a problem. I mean, again, there were, there were other things that were going on in the relationship, yeah. but um, sure. yeah. Yeah. It's a tricky one. I mean, I have friends and people I've had on the podcast too, who that became a big issue in their marriage with their spouses who, you know, were, were omnivores and, you know, they had married somebody who also was an omnivore and then that person became a vegan and like suddenly all the, all the little routines, like the wine and cheese outings and the shared plates or restaurants or it's, it's tricky as you know. And so then, how, a val oh, and then I think it's a values thing. I mean, again, you know, I, I, I know I'm kind of talking into it deep, right? But, but it's, you know, it's, we're sharing a plate and I believe this and you believe that. Right. And, and we believe, maybe we believe these things so strongly that it's that, that just brings up questions. Yeah. Yeah. Was your husband open at all to? At that time, he really wasn't. He's, mm -hmm. he's a lovely guy. Mm -hmm. um, but he's much more open to it now. And we're friends much more open to the, the idea, um, you know, he'll eat, um, you know, uh, beyond burgers and impossible burgers. And if, you know, if he goes out to dinner with the family or something, and we, we, we went to celebrate my sister's birthday the other day, and he had a vegan eggplant parm, Yeah, you know, so yeah. it's like, he's, he's totally open. Right, right. Yeah. Probably more so now that the pressure's off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's not my wife trying to get me to do something. Oh boy. <laughs> so when you went vegan, how was that transition for you? Was it tough or was it tricky at all? Or did you just ease right no, in? I I I don't remember what material it was. I mean, I, I remember seeing some things, but I don't remember necessarily what the initial um, footage and or photos I saw of dairy and egg industry. But as soon as I learned, it was done. It was mm -hmm. over. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, then I shifted into, oh my gosh, everybody, everybody who's vegetarian, you need to know this. Right. right? <laughs> um, because... I didn't know at least, yeah. or I, I really didn't want to know. I, I did not realize. Yeah. Yeah. The, the cruelty and the violence, uh, depths inherent in those industries. Yeah. Yeah. I, I relate. I relate. It was, I was so ignorant for so long and I was a committed vegetarian, but I was such an ignorant vegetarian and I, I didn't, didn't know. And as they say, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think I was consciously avoiding the reality, although I certainly wasn't seeking out additional information. Yeah. 
but I, I do, you know, for lack of a better word, regret all those years that I wasted as a vegetarian in the sense that I thought I was doing something ethically sound and beneficial. And I wasn't doing it for health reasons, but in, in hindsight, you know, I wasn't helping my health because I was eating all that dairy and I wasn't doing anything for animals because I was still consuming egg whites and non-fat Greek yogurt. So yeah, we, we figure it out when we do. Yeah. It, it, it made sense to you. And there were some species who were, you know, off your, off your plate. Right. Um, there, there was something for sure that you were doing, um, as a vegetarian. Um, it's just not, not the same as where you are now. Yeah. I just advise my, the people I know who are vegetarian, it's not that many of them, but I, I really advise them, don't waste your time. <laughs> don't waste your time being just a non-vegan vegetarian. If you care about either of those things, if you mm. care about health or animal suffering, mm -hmm. then know that what you're doing now is not serving either one of those. Mm -hmm. And um, so when did you get into teaching? Yeah, I mean, right out of college. Um, uh, so, I mean, I was a psych major in college, but then, you know, I did Teach for America and they don't actually <clears throat> hire teaching uh, teaching majors, um, education majors. So, mm -hmm. or at least they didn't at the time. So um, I jumped right into to that and then, you know, stayed there until in education until six years ago almost six years ago. Wow. Yeah. So where did you go for Teach for America? Uh, so in Manhattan, Washington Heights. Um, yeah. And um, that was an amazing experience and very, very challenging. And I came back to Delaware after that before going to grad school in education. Yeah. 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 So that had kind of what did your appetite for education rather than yeah. turning you off I guess that's a good sign yeah I mean it's it's so important and it's uh really undervalued and and underfunded um yeah what what ages were you teaching well at that time it was third grade oh okay um, yeah and then and then I was you know tutoring elementary school, middle school, and high school, um, and teaching some summer school, middle school, and high school before I got my, my master's. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I, after I got my master's and got certified, I went and taught middle school, which is <laughs> very hard. Very yeah, hard. Yeah. I substitute taught. Um, oh, middle school and, oh and high school but yeah middle school for a long time and boston public schools so yeah <laughs> i know that i know that? um i did it for a period of about about nine months each time it was two separate rounds the first time was mostly in a middle school and the second time was in uh vocational technical high school <laughs> in roxbury massachusetts yeah, it was, that's it was tough. A trip. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, but I mean, as you know, it's it's definitely no walk in the park, but it also was really in interesting. You know, it, it certainly had its moments of redemption, although there were a few and far between. But did you ever get to talk to the kids about food or animals or any of these, you know, values that you were developing? Um, I I, I'm laughing because I can't remember anything in middle school, which might make more sense. But my mom loves to tell this story to this day. And when she came and visited my third grade classroom in Manhattan, and she was reading, I don't know, like the yearling or something to them. And this one kid raised his hand and said, he said, horses belong in the country, not in the city. Because we we had studied, we had done this, you know, the story Country Mouse and City Mouse. And of uh -huh. course, I had gone off on this thing because there's carriage horses, right, in yeah. Manhattan. So I'd gone off on this yeah, thing that I, I couldn't yeah. that I couldn't help, apparently, talking about uh, horses and how they shouldn't be in the city. Of course, now I would say horses should be, you know, generally left alone. I mean, it's great for us yeah. to care for them, but right. Um, right. certainly, um, you know, as a vegan, right, I have a different. Uh, view of uh, how we should be interacting uh, right. with horses uh, that right. I did then. So anyway, I there must have been uh, some things that came out. And I, I think I only remember that because my mom loves that story and reminds reminds me of it. <laughs> I remember reading that book as a kid. I just remember crying and Right. See, uh, see, this must have been something. This actually was called Spring Fellow. So it wasn't the yearling. Oh, this okay. Is a, okay. This is more of like a children's story, yeah. like a, yeah, a short, a short story. So I don't know that I've ever read the yearling because I think I've oh, okay. If you're saying okay. you were crying and crying. I might remember that. Yeah. I don't it was about a yearling. Details, but I just rem I remember the version I had. It was a yellow book, a yellow hardback. Mm. I can remember kind of the horse on the front, you know, in Boston Gold, and I just remember crying. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so when you went into education full time after getting your master's, how was that? Really tough. Um, as I can I can very clearly see this now, but as a highly sensitive, being a classroom teacher um was really taxing because there's just there's so much going on in the in the classroom there's it's so much so loud that's what it's, i remember it's right so loud there's never any silence and everybody's you know personalities and their needs right and trying to accommodate kind of what people need emotionally as well as educationally um it, it was really a lot um, for me. And yet, you know, it offered the chance to be creative. And, you know, teenagers and like middle schoolers, they're, they're funny. And I, I, you know, I mean that in a, in the, in the, in a good way. Right. Um, and so they're, you know, they're just some great moments. Um, and it's, it's really important for kids to have good teachers. Uh, and it's it's a shame that you know educators aren't aren't paid more highly um, 
and more valued, as well as children not being, you know, more valued by right, society. Right, right, right. Yeah. That part yeah, too. Extension yeah. by extension, right. What subjects were you teaching? Uh, I was teaching uh, English language arts and reading to non-native speakers of English. Oh, okay, um, okay. Yeah. And so you speak several languages, right? Um, I really only speak English at this point. Um, I, I I was highly proficient in in Spanish, uh, but you know it's it's been years since I've really used the language. Um, so and then I had studied you know French in middle school and in high school. So um, yeah, and because uh, I was teaching in the U.S. And um, people needed to learn English, right? I wasn't, I wasn't practicing Spanish. I mean, it was a little bit different in third grade bilingual because um, we were teaching some, some subjects in both English and Spanish. But, um, you know, in this country, people need, need the English, um, you know, especially as young people to, um, to thrive. So right. I, it was English. It was English. So my English yeah. is fine. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, you sound pretty good. It's, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe maybe you just didn't even take notice at all of this when you were in the classroom. But in terms of food and health and eating, did you notice any particular differences among different cultures in your classroom? Hmm. I really don't remember conversations about food or, and I'm sure that's, I'm sure, I'm sure there were, right? Because it, it is such a big part of our lives. Um, and in terms of, you know, who's eating, you know, which species or how important, you know, it is when, when the meals are served. Um, kind of how family life is woven into that. So I'm sure there were, um, I'm sure there were stories that we read. Um, and, you know, where I was at the time was really focusing on education. And so I just pretty much left, I would say, the the animal stuff at the door, right? And kind of like, well, I'm going to do my job. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, focus on these little animals. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. exactly, and and you know, not not get into um something that's you know, yeah, yeah, something that seemed really my, just mine. Uh, yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. I just remember when I was substitute teaching, the thing that struck me. So much was different from when I was in elementary school and middle school and high school. And for one, there was no eating between the meals. You know, you had your official lunch break. But when I was in the Boston Public Schools, kids are eating and snacking all day. And they were, oh, really? I think they were vending machines. Oh. Yeah. So I just noticed like a lot more eating in general. Okay. Yeah. Just interesting. Um, you know, just changes or whatever. I but um, 
so do that, I, but I do I, know, sorry to interrupt you. No, I do ahead. know that, you know, there's, there is this, the thing that happens, right? When people move to the U.S. and get settled here. And if they start eating food that that's part of our diet, right? People are, are gaining weight, right? And if they're eating, you know, if they're, if their families are cooking less, you know, let's say fresh, you know, food, the way, you know, people around the world, right? They're, they're growing their own food in a, in a lot of cases, right? Um, you come to the U.S. and their, their lives change and, and, and probably their health. Right, right. And it's not because of their genes, because they still have the same genes as their, yeah, yeah. As their parents and their grandparents, but their diet is different. Um, so when was it that you ended up at a farmed animal sanctuary? Yeah, so that was when I left education uh, officially, and then that's almost six years ago. Um, and that, what was, yeah, what prompted that change? That sounds like it was a big turning point in your life. Yeah, so it was coming, right? So I, uh -huh. I had I had been vegan for, whatever, six years. And um, I was exploring different forms of advocacy um, and, and volunteering um, in, in different ways and kind of looking for um, the work that that suited me. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I had a life coach uh, who I'd been working with off and on for a number of years and you know he helped me get to the point of of taking this leap and you know leaving my full-time job and going and doing an internship and something that was very different um but you know because I was so passionate about animal rights um it didn't it didn't seem that didn't seem crazy to me right <laughs> um <laughs> was your so, life coach a vegan no I mean, no. you can talk about like, oh, I eat clean and all this BS, you know, but no, 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 no. And like, he loved, you know, wild animals and, you know, like he had, um, oh my gosh, who's um, my brain, um, the guy who started or was part of, it's a, it's a C. I don't know if he was something. I'm Sea Shepherd is what's coming up for me, and I can't think of the guy's oh, name. And maybe it's, Watkins, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had read that book, and he was like, "You need to read this book," you know. So into into let's say wild animal kinds of yeah, um, yeah. protection, um, but yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So he was like one of those people with a lot of cognitive dissonance going on, where he cared yes. about some aspects, but. Right. I mean, right. We all, we, we all have, um, sure, we all sure. have a lot of inconsistencies. Yeah. Yeah. In how we live. Yeah. So where was the sanctuary that you this went? This is in to? upstate New York. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you, yeah. How, how did that go? What was it like working there? Yeah. So I started, um, I was working in both, um, education Right, which makes sense. Perfect. Yeah. Right. And uh in animal care and in in animal care mostly because um, you know, they were understaffed 
I, I was going to say at the time, but I think in general sanctuaries are understaffed. So, um, so I was doing both. And since I had um, familiarity with horses and cleaning, right, cleaning stalls, I felt like, okay, well, I'm, I'm happy to do that as well. My, my point is to be of service. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. yeah. And was this farm sanctuary? No. No, a different place. Okay. Yeah. 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 What was it like spending all that time around animals? Um, yeah. So there, there wasn't any time to visit. Hmm um you were working task oriented. right 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 but I very much came to appreciate chickens and turkeys I mean I spent most of my time with um with chickens because there there were a lot of there are a lot of chickens there um and um you know as an intern right there they're kind of particular about what what things you you can and and can't do and you can't get into too much trouble with chickens I, you know I don't think um anyway <laughs> um so um yeah so you know I mean one of my favorite things was uh taking this pair of roosters out from their stall and putting them in their um outdoor enclosure um and these were um these were guys from um what is it called when they when they raise them in school totally blanking out oh like 4-h no it's it's something I, I can't even I, I can't believe it I can't because this was something that that they taught about at the sanctuary anyway yeah. these guys were gorgeous yeah. so not industry birds right uh -huh. um, and these guys were super gorgeous super light guys mm -hmm. and you could you could pick them both up and and then uh -huh. and just carry them out to there and, and they would just kind of ride and they were they're just you know amazing so there were there were there were some times but most of the time right it was just it was feeding cleaning moving on to the next yeah yeah the next gotcha. and there's not enough time okay yeah. okay yeah and how long were you there at the sanctuary I was there for six months yeah. So I was actually here 50% of the time in Delaware and there 50% of the time because I refused wow. to leave my cats. I mean, I live, oh. I actually live with my sister. So it's not like they were alone. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So I would be up there for two weeks every month and here for two weeks. Wow. For wow. that period. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And so what were you contemplating doing from there? after your internship was up right um yeah the the goal was to to really get the experience of a sanctuary and see if education in this capacity was something that would be a good fit for me mm -hmm. um and this sanctuary did a lot of education really um amazing uh, content on their tours, um, as well as a couple of other programs that they ran. So um, it was really, uh, really impressive. Um, but for me, it was, um, I noticed that um, I 
that the that the humans were suffering um because the work uh was was intense um uh challenging and you know of course there's death there um you know especially if you've got a lot of a lot of folks and if you've got a lot of industry folks right their their lives you know they're going to have so many health issues um and um so so that's where I came up with the idea, having been a coaching client off and on for years of, you know, maybe since I am an introvert and a highly sensitive, right? So I got overwhelmed pretty quickly with the work um, and just the the needs, both of the humans and the non-humans. What if I worked kind of, you know, one-on-one with, humans to support them in their work on behalf of other species, you know, in this case, farmed uh, species being, um, being the ones. Yeah. I don't know what the question was, but. What, what you were going to do after. <laughs> yeah. So that wasn't the plan, but that's what came out of it. That's what came out of it. Had there been a plan or had you just decided to get this experience? No, the there really wasn't a plan. It, it was, it was a, a jumping off point. Yeah, um, that makes sense. And to see, you know, to see, well, if I'm, if I'm more, um, you know, if it's work that's, that's outdoors and more connected to nature, you know, would I, yeah. would I be yeah. more suited to that? Um, right, right. Well, education in that context be fulfilling and well suited mm-hmm. <laughs> for me. Right. And right, right, right. it still, still wasn't really. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's, um, it's very, it's very, very important work. And I do believe that we need all of the different organizations, right? You know, the large ones that are working on corporate campaigns, um, you know, as well as, um, you know, in changing mindset, as well as the sanctuaries where humans can come and see, you know, other animals and learn about who they are as individuals about them as species um so you know i do think it kind of it takes that that range of different different points yes yes that makes total sense and also you were an educator for a long time so you've certainly had <laughs> time it's not like yeah since you left education you you know contributed nothing to the field you were really yeah service all yeah and so. I did I did um I did right after I did work on the a curriculum uh education humane education curriculum for the film the last pig um, huh. which is about a um a pig farmer who has a crisis of conscience and realizes oh. that he cannot continue farming these animals and sending them to slaughter it's beautiful beautiful documentary oh i'll have to look that up i haven't seen that one and the guy is a he's a philosopher really um so he's not like he grew up in in far he grew up in suburbia Uh um, but he wanted to provide an alternative to factory farming and so you know he'd he'd get these guys and he was very good to them you can see that um but then he also you know he sends as they get big enough he sends them away um and usually he'd kind of drop them off and leave and and one day you know he um 
he stayed. And I don't think he saw them killed, but he saw them waiting to be killed. And it is devastating, right? I mean, you can you can imagine. Um, so anyway, um, we worked on, we did uh, elementary middle high school and then ultimately there was a there was a college um version of the guide um and so that was a great experience wow Wow. very interesting yeah have you seen the movie peaceable kingdom i haven't i've seen very few movies um Uh because Uh they um they stick with me but i'm i'm listening well it's your description of the last pig reminded me of that because mm. Peaceful Kingdom is about three animal farmers who, same scenario, they are trying to do it the good way, the right way, the best way. They think it's a noble profession and then they just have a change of heart and realize that this just isn't right. I can't do this. And so it follows their journey and it's focused on their human experience rather mm. than on what's happening to the to the non-human animals um so it's it's a very beautiful film yeah it, it was funny just this past weekend i was traveling and i was in in the airport here in nashville and ended up in a conversation with this chatty very extroverted man from tennessee and he mentioned that he has a he's a doctor but he has a small goat farm and he raises these goats and for milk um, but then, of course, they at some points are sent off to be killed. And it was very funny just hearing him describe it all because he was saying, I I can't watch my, my goats be killed. You know, I, I can't kill my goats. I, I can't watch them be killed. I can't kill my goats. You know, saying this as, <laughs> you know, demonstrative of his love and loyalty to them that he can't watch. <laughs> it's like, okay, so the solution is to send them to have somebody else kill them it's just so how did you how did you navigate that conversation at that point yeah well I had I had outed my I think I I think I maybe said that um yeah there was there was a lot in the conversation I had outed myself as a as a vegan I talked about some nutritional benefits of being vegan because the subject of health had come up. Yeah, I I did my best to inject a different perspective and kind of maybe point out some of the inconsistencies in his own emotional logic. And he, yeah, yeah, an interesting, interesting person. Um, but like a lot of us just multifaceted with a lot of different contrary things happening inside him all at once and so yeah um so after the sanctuary you decided to go into coaching and I discovered that you became something called a certified professional co-active coach did I get that right (laughs) yeah that's that's a mouthful (laughs) so what yeah what does that mean what is well it's it means two things one is that um that i'm certified right through uh, through um the uh international coaching federation right um so there there are certain programs that meet those standards and then um 
the coactive part is speaks to the training, um, the coactive training institute. And so that it's it's like the biggest, the oldest coach training program. Um, really? and it's and it's international, wow. yeah. Um, and so we we think of coaching as being um both how you are and how you be in the world as well as what you're doing so that's kind of like this co-active mm. part of it interesting um, yeah i've never heard that word before co-active yeah yeah so it's not all about you know it's not all about goal setting that's important right um but it's it's navigating your emotional landscape and mm -hmm. your thoughts and your beliefs and also really getting centered in you know how you want to be in this world how you want to show up mm. who who you want to be right getting very much in touch with your values um and it also um at least some of it can be looking at different parts right of of who we are and, and what we have going on for each of us, which, you know, um, I imagine is similar to IFS that you do. Yes. Yes. Very similar. We have these different parts to our personalities and often we walk around hating some of them and wanting our anxious part to go away or our sensitive parts and just learning to communicate with those parts who are like these little people inside us who more than anything, just like all of us want to be seen and heard and acknowledged. And the worst possible thing that can happen is that they're just dismissed and ignored as invalid. So yeah, IFS offers a process of communicating with those parts, working with those parts and also helping those parts transform because of those parts realize that their tactics are ineffective and are not serving the greater good, which is you, us, all right. of us, then they are smart. They can learn and want to learn better ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So how did, how did your coaching practice, you know, affect you personally? Probably, no, uh, one of the biggest ways, of course, is, you know, coaching, the coaches receiving coaching. So I've had a number of different coaches that I've worked with since I started studying as a coach and, and through my certification process, and I continue to um, have coaches. So, you know, each one brings a different you know, they're bringing who they are, but they're also bringing their specialty. So it's offered me the opportunity to grow in different ways. Um, and, an, and another part really has been the business component. Mm. Because for me, um, and I guess I just didn't really think about it. Because, you know, I wanted to coach, and I never wanted to have a business. My mother mm -hmm. was a small business owner, and I saw how much she worked. And I just business was not something that I was interested in. Um, but, you know, to, to be, 
to have a business, right? You need to be seen, right? You need to put yourself out there. And for me, that's always been very, very vulnerable. Um, and so one of the things that I probably will, will work, be working on for the rest of my life, right, is really um, stepping into that space of this is this is who I am. This is what I have to offer. Um, and, you know, working with those parts who really don't feel safe being seen, right, and being heard um, and um, and 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 growing in the, in that way uh, with the business as well as as a coach and as a human being, right? Mm -hmm. There's there's so much to learn. There's so much to process um, that it's it's going to be, yeah, it's a lifelong journey. Yeah, yeah, agreed. That's very very just eloquently articulated. What would you say the benefits are of, you know, familiarizing ourselves with our emotions and what we feel in our bodies? Yeah, there's so much going on uh, in the world around us, swirling around us. And then there's so much going on within um, to be able to identify, you know, when you're feeling angry or sad or resentful um to to name it and look at what's underneath that okay so not just why am i feeling that but but where do i feel it in my body um and what's it about right like what part of me needs a, a voice what's being stepped on or what's you know what's not being seen or heard and so that you know, the emotions, we don't bottle them up and then they come out sideways, you know, in some kind of eruption, um, but that we're able to use them effectively. Um, yeah, and, and just the familiarity we have with, um, well, it's mind, body and spirit, but all, all of it. And, you know, we're just, we're not taught to connect to any of that, really. Uh, I mean, yeah in in some in some cases right but to be able to you know explore who we are what's most important to us and how do we want to live mm -hmm. out in the world and i think the more we know about what we're feeling day to day then the more we can create like if we're really stuck in negative emotions which i think many of us are right to be able to um, know what they are, process them, figure out what what are the thoughts and beliefs you know that are behind them, and then start to create something new and something brighter for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps us as as advocates, right? It's so easy for us to be brought brought down by uh, the anger, the the rage. Uh, the frustration, the confusion, the resentment, right? That that we have, <laughs> you know, at the world. Um, and, uh, you know, the more we can really process that and and allow ourselves to to be happy and to seek what we want and need 
the more we have compassion for other humans and the world and what's going on. And I think the, we can show up better. Right? Right. I mean, cause I've certainly been the angry vegan marched around, right. Um, having a really hard time being with other people and even with other vegans being, you know, just spending our time in, in hatred and anger because we feel it so deeply. Right. And it doesn't serve us in, um, to a large extent. I don't know that it serves the movement or um, those folks where we're trying to help. Right, right. Yeah, which is a tough lesson to really, to really learn on a deeper level because on the one hand, it truly is, unconscionable what's happening to non-human animals so that's that's real and at the same time hating everybody who still participates in that system is essentially like hating the me 12 years ago or 15 years ago when I was one of those people (laughs) you know we're all we were all duped you know growing up in, in the society where we were conditioned not to think about certain things so what kind of clients do you work with? Are most of them vegans you find, or is it just across the board? The, um, I have some who are vegan and some who are advocates. And I have some who are um, omnivores, actually, I, I assume, because I do work with a, um, a coaching company, so a company that provides um, coaching to um to companies to offer coaching as a benefit to their employees. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in that case, um, so that case, you know, people could be kind of anywhere on the spectrum. Right. Right. Yeah. And does that come up in your interactions (laughs) that you find a way? Um, (laughs) it, 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 It doesn't. And, and I think that it, it could more. (laughs) <laughs> I think I'm coming from the space of being like really wanting to like, you know, be how I'm supposed to be right mm-hmm. in a coach and as a coach in this setting. So, so I'm kind of a different, I can be a different coach when it's, you know, I'm, I'm um, working with my own clients, right. And the agenda's a little bit more out there. Not that a coach should have an agenda, but you know, right. That it's, that it's kind of, it's more transparent where I'm coming from. Yeah. Um, so you know sometimes there's there's some things that I that I need to navigate um but you know I'm I'm in service to the client and so it's whatever that person is wanting and and needing Um, yeah 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 well that that sounds like the way to be as a coach (laughs) that makes total sense yeah all right. Well, this has been such an interesting conversation. Um, I've got just a couple more questions for okay. you before we start wrapping up. But number one, you've mentioned several times being a highly sensitive person. When did you first recognize that aspect of yourself and, you know, kind of formally take on that, <laughs> that descriptive? Um, hi, I know, I know. So there's a cat <laughs> here um, for people who, um, you're not not seeing this there's a cat who has (laughs) climbed on the desk um so I think that maybe I've always known it 
but um, I didn't learn about this trait being an actual trait until like 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Dr. Elaine Aaron, I think was the first one to coin the phrase highly sensitive person, highly sensitive people in the nineties. Um, and, you know, as, as many folks do when, they, when, when I read about it, it was like, ah, Eureka. Okay. That yeah. explains a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. Yeah. um, so, um, and so now it's, I'm in the space of, um, working to really accept it about myself, right? Because sensitive is, is often thought of as a negative, uh, a negative trait, right? You don't want to be too sensitive, too emotional, need too much, yeah. uh, those kinds of things, but, but looking at it from a different lens, um, and right. seeing what the, what the gifts are that it has to offer. So I'm, so I'm currently doing more research because I decided, you know, it's time to own this. Mm. <laughs> this is one of the first times I'm saying this like in public. So this is working yeah. on owning it. Right? I love it. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, in fact, at Vegan Summerfest, I don't know if you've ever attended that. It's no. not too far from you. It's every year in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Oh, and Vegan Summerfest. I don't know about this. Thank oh, you. Oh, it's Christine. fantastic. Yeah, it's the longest running vegan conference in the U.S. What? Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. And so it happens every year in July. And I attended this this past summer and one of the workshops was actually on this very topic of being a sensitive person it was led oh. by that that film that I mentioned peaceable kingdom there's a former cattle rancher and now vegetable farmer named Harold Brown who's just a lovely man who's featured in that film and he presented it at this workshop along with a woman I may be getting her name wrong but I believe her name her first name is Lee, and I think her last name is Hall. She's an author and a professor. Um, so they co-led this workshop, which is all about sensitivity. And of course, I was there because my whole life I've been told I'm too sensitive, and that's my that's my fatal flaw. That's my well, you're one too. Oh yeah, oh yes, oh yes, and I never had to or. I never had to recognize it for myself because that was the negative mantra always being, you know, screamed into my face was, you know, what your problem is you're too sensitive. Mm. And so I remember, I remember as an adult living in Boston, I remember sitting in a meeting at one point, hearing the word sensitive used in a positive light. And my jaw just about dropped because I was like, that can be a good thing. <laughs> like that could be, um, that can be, you know, a positive attribute. Like it just never crossed my mind. So anyway, but that's, but we, so where are you with your acceptance of this part of yourself? Or yeah, I, I, I accept it. It does, it does require some nurturing and some accommodation, you know, mm. for sure. But I think by the same token, you know, we're sensitive to the good things and the beauty and just, you know, the richness and deepness of life in a way that perhaps less sensitive people are not. And so just, just like anything, it has its 
pros and it has its cons and it's just it's just who I am so yeah <laughs> that's yeah yeah but that's that's fascinating so well on a somewhat related subject how would you say your veganism has changed over the years like have you evolved as a vegan I'm I'm definitely more relaxed um and I'm and I'm not in like education mode um like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna tell the world how it really is right so it's so so much less self-righteous there's definitely there's definitely some in there but mm -hmm. it's but it's less mm -hmm. um and Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think it's a, it's a greater part of my identity and I'm very intentionally um, wanting to bring more compassion for myself and for other humans, you know, where, wherever they are on their journey, both, you know, in terms of who they are as, as people and what they're navigating, as well as, you know, where, where they are. Uh, in relationship to to non-human species, um, really ah. trying to just really chill out <laughs> and be a little bit more who I want to be all the time. Right. You know. Right. It's so easy to be angry because there's a lot to be angry about, um, but it's it's not working for me. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think sometimes sometimes it's it's a tempting distraction to get caught up in the anger because at least for me, the anger can feel good. The anger can feel empowering. And mm -hmm. at least anger is it's energizing. And if if I go below the anger, then often what I find is there's a lot of sadness that oh. you know it's not always not always what I'm interested in <laughs> being present with but yeah, yeah it's 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 interesting we're all <laughs> we vegans who care about animals and are troubled by animal exploitation we're we're all in that same boat you know we have to figure out a way to to accept our sensitive selves but also walk around in the world and and function mm -hmm. so yeah yeah well thank you for Thank you for sharing some of the ways that you've you've learned to do just that and help other people, you know, become better and better versions of themselves and, you know, go after the things that are important to them and just raising awareness of truth and justice and compassion in the world. <laughs> really yeah. appreciate your your story. All right. So um thank you. Last it's, it's couple of questions. So great. Where's the best people place for people to find you if they're looking for coaching? I think the best place is, is my website, which is Rooted Rise, root as in rooting into the earth and rising as in growing, rootedrise.com. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm on the socials a little bit as Rooted Rise, but you can also find me as Alyssa Almond. Um, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not a very social media person 
Yeah, yeah. Well, but perfect. That, well, that needs to change. I think that needs to change. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm not either, so I'm not the one to. You feel me? I'm not the one to talk, but um, we'll certainly include all that information in the show notes. All right, Alyssa, it's been a pleasure having you. Final question, which I like to pose to all my guests, is: Is there a particular word that, for you, sums up what being vegan is all about? It's it's either truth or compassion. Sorry, I know you asked for one. No, that's that's great. Whatever comes to mind, yeah. I think they're, they overlap, that's for sure, in my mm -hmm. mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, in some ways, the word is probably vegan. <laughs> that's why I have it. So. Yeah. <laughs> there are different words. That would be the word. Um, but I, yeah, I love it. Truth. Yeah. Yeah. And compassion, because we need, we need them both. We need them both. How do we exist with one without the other? <laughs> mm -hmm. So, all right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And we close every episode by taking 30 seconds of silence for all the suffering animals, human and non-human, who desire, as we all do, safety, happiness, and the freedom to live out their lives without interference. So, Alyssa, I invite you to join me in 30 seconds of silence for the animals, and we'll conclude with the sound of the bell. Thank you. Thank you, Alyssa, and thank you, Posse. See you next time. Until then, stay strong and stay true.